Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. So there is hope for these individuals, there is a method. So we're developing a method of, of tracking, maintaining, work with local community, reintroducing back in the wild. So, so in a sense, technically we've got all the tools, I guess what's letting us down is we, we don't have sufficient funding in order to enact the program to the level we're doing. keep going a real quick question for you are you concerned with urban sprawl are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence as put on wildlife and wild spaces if so an easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our patreon page and become a monthly supporter if you like this podcast if you would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com slash conserve the wild. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 117. The time is now for Sumatran elephants. Now, this week I'm talking with Life Cox of the International Elephant Project. Life has worked for 30 years managing a wide range of animals as a small population biologist, and he's also the author of three books on orangutans. We're not going to be talking about orangutans. We're going to be talking about elephants. Why? Because he's the founder of IEP, or the International Elephant Project. During the conversation, life's going to cover what IEP's mission is, how the organization is funded, and projects that that money pays for. He's also going to fill us in on why Sumatran elephants are in trouble what's impacting their numbers, and how they're an indicator of ecological success. So let's just dive right in. On the line today, we have Life Cox. Life, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. So what we're going to be talking about today is something that has never been talked about on this podcast, and that is elephants, uh, specifically Sumatran elephants. Um, as the listeners heard in the introduction, you're the founder of the International Elephant Project. Uh, so let's just start with what is the International Elephant Project and what is the, the mission or the goal behind mm -hmm. uh, this organization? Uh, our mission is that um, one day that you know all elephant species can live in the wild in sustainable populations. So it's not about captive breeding, which is dubious at best. Uh, and also elephants being persons, 
as such. They don't do well in captivity, like all persons don't do well in captivity. And we've, although we have projects in that we support in Laos and Sri Lanka, um, our Pacific focus at the moment is on the islands of Borneo and Sumatra, where the elephants are really at the tipping point of falling off the edge of their populations being able to be recovered. It is certainly the populations are below, which is what is going to be sustainable. Um, we, so we have to stabilize and recover. And we only got next few years to do that because they are so critical in their nature. So when, it, when you're talking about this sort of uh, tipping point, uh, as far as, you know, the number of elephants sort of tipping off to where they're no longer going to be around. And how many Sumatran elephants are there right now currently? Mm -hmm. There's only about 1,200 to 1,500 left um, in, in small pockets of rainforest over the island of Sumatra. So no individual population is anywhere sustainable, i.e. they will all collapse and, 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 and die out. Even the whole population is too small to survive and needs rapid um, expansion of the founded genes in order to, pervert, to um, preserve the genetic diversity for the species to survive in the long term. So, uh, I mean, is there like a magic number that you're sort of looking for? Uh, and, and if so, like, what is that magic number? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in general, we can't be too specific with um, small population genetics. We don't know how many deleterious alleles are in the population that can come out later. I mean, one example of, of a, a lucky species is a cheetah. And the, basically, the surviving cheetahs, because they went through a genetic bottleneck, are almost clones of each other. You can use skin grass from one cheetah to another but they're relatively okay because they had very few deleterious genes in the population. Now, we're not quite sure how many of these deleterious genes are existing in the elephant population. The usual rule of thumb is that if all things, breeding is equal, you need about 500 individuals to maintain genetic diversity in the long term. However, that doesn't take into account the particular um, breeding patterns of, of species. And particularly in elephants, as an example, um, one male may produce many offsprings and other males may produce absolutely no offsprings. So it's heavily skewed. So we believe you probably need at least 2000 elephants breeding at any one time in order for that population to prevent it from basically inbreeding and losing genetic diversity over time. Now we're well below that now, but what we do know with recovering small populations, if you can recover a population fairly quickly, i.e. breed it up very quickly from its, its below capacity, you can um, stop the prevention of loss of a lot of genetic material, but you have to breed up very quickly. So elephant population cannot survive in its current level, but if we can stabilize it and breed up very quickly, over the next, let's say, 20, 30 years, we can recover this um, subspecies from extinction. Yeah, and that sort of brings to mind to me um, just the idea of also just like pockets, right? So you mentioned 12 to 1500 elephants, but that doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, as far as spreading genetic diversity that 
all of those elephants are interacting with each other all the time. Uh, so small pockets sort of uh, uh, may have more inbreeding than other pockets because of hab habitat fragmentation and, and things like that. Um, we're, you know, here in the United States, we're running into a similar problem with ocelots uh, in Texas. We, you know, there's pockets of the population, but they're unable to get to each other to be able to spread that that genetic diversity that each pocket has. So I, I can understand how that uh, would definitely be a concern. Um, so obviously when we're dealing with something like you're, tr you're trying to, to well, let, 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 let me back up for a second. What is the reason behind this? Why is the population so low? Is it just habitat or is it environmental? Um, you know, climate change stuff? Is it uh, poaching? I mean, what is it that's causing these elephant numbers to decline and causing an issue? The vast majority of the decline of the Sumatran elephant is caused by large multinational companies converting the rainforest, um, um, disrespecting indigenous rights to the land and converting that rainforest to unsustainable monocultures such as palm oil and pulp paper, which will eventually collapse. And so what we're finding is indigenous communities and the wildlife, such as the elephants, are trying to hang on and survive in these remaining pockets of rainforest. And of course, they're fighting each other for survival. And so there's a lot of human-elephant conflict. And, and so we've got the isolated herds of elephants. And so we have a strategy, which I can explain, of how we're managing it now and, and how we hope to manage it into the future and so the species can survive. Yeah, go ahead and um, let everyone know, tell me how, I mean, how do mm -hmm. you, how do you, do, that, that sounds like an uphill battle, right, against these large corporations. So how are we dealing with that? What we're trying to do is save complete ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of rainforest for the rainforest to survive. And that's a separate issue because just saving any rainforest doesn't work because the highlands are low in biodiversity and the megafauna such as elephant, tiger and orangutan can't survive in the highlands. And that's the area which is often just left because the big palm oil and pot paper firms don't want that the hilly areas. And so that's pretty much useless for megafauna conservation. And also you need enough rainforest to support rainforest because rainforest generates its own rain, its own microclimate. And so if you just save rainforest in not right type, shape and size, the rainforest collapses within itself and basically becomes unsustainable. So we have to save these 200,000 hectares plus rainforest of the right shape and size and type of frost for the ecosystems to survive. And then what we're faced with when in regards to a very large megafauna such as elephants, even then, if we save these, these large ecosystems, they can only support a herd of about 120, 150 in each ecosystem, which is not enough for the species to survive that roamed over the entire island. And so what we're doing is we're um, conserving these herds and then we're translocating the elephant males from one population to another, which we're actually already doing and we have to do because what happens is the young males naturally want to disperse and they run into the palm oil plantations, they run into the villages looking for the next herd, which is not there anymore. It's now just a sea of, of, of human dominated landscapes. And what happens is elephants, those elephants and people start killing each other 
you know, it's you know these large mammals are trying to find and and raid the crops to eat, and then the villagers try to um, kill them, then they try to kill the villagers, and so what we do is we have to grab these young bulls at that age of dispersion and move them onto the um, next population, and then they settle down. Oh, I got found my new herd and new females. Um, the second aspect is we're dealing with, which is um, quite horrific, is we're getting these criminals or syndicates coming in and killing the males because the males have have tusks. And so some of the um, ecosystems we've started working in, there's only female elephants left. All the males are gone. So there's all these females with no male anymore because um, the poachers have got all the males. So we provide the protection and work with the indigenous communities to prevent human elephant conflict. And then we translocate one of these young bulls into the area. Um, so it can start breeding and become sustainable again. So we're, we're far beyond this, the concept what we can do, let's say with um, orangutans, as an example, we can conserve at the moment entire ecosystems that can support sustainable population orangutans. That's a, a, a vision that we can actually achieve within our lifetime. But we can't never do that with elephants. These populations are so fragmented, corridors and uniting herds, just not possible anymore. So at least in the foreseeable future, we're going to have to actively manage this, these elephant populations in order to them, for them to survive. The only hope is we know with mitigating climate change, we've got to rewall about 28% of the planet, as well as all the other actions we have to do to save the planet. So we're hoping that in a more enlightened future um, beyond our generation, we'll start rewilding the planet, take out these unsustainable monocultures and have uh, polycultures with the local communities under rainforest canopy. Um, and then the elephant population can slowly, um, I guess, connect um, over the next century. All right, so, I mean, just by the nature of what it is you're trying to do, uh, the, that's some big, bold moves that need to be made, right? Like, it, and it's going to cost money. Uh, you know, it, it already is, right? Like if you're going to, tranquilize and move an elephant that's going to cost a lot of money if you're trying to protect them from poachers that's you have to pay the people right um no one's going to just be doing it out of the kindness of their own heart uh completely free everyone has mm. to eat so um how does the international elephant protection how do, how do you guys get money like who who is giving you money and mm. it, is is that solely what we're using the money for just trying to sort of conserve land and and move ele elephants or is there any other other than administrative stuff um you know what other kind of things are are we using that money for yeah you know you hit the nail on, on the head i mean the, the bigger picture is um a few greedy people are um creating these environments unsustainable environments unsustainable monocultures such as palm oil and they're passing a true cost of production onto the powerless the powerless are the indigenous communities, future generations, because these are all unsustainable. They collapse the economy into the future. Um, and, it, and the powerless other persons are the, the non-human persons, such as elephants. And so we, we're coming in to try to uh, add compassion um, and love um, and desire to um, allow this planet to recover to do the basic things that allow this planet to cover future generations. 
working with the indigenous community so they can live together. And so we raise money from donations. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that's a hard thing because, you know, I think something like 97% of charity work money goes to human causes. And then there's a 3% slither. And then, you know, and then most of that goes to maybe places like Africa, you know, where people, you know, have, um, where think we're wild animals of conservation. That's the home of that, you know, in our psyche, as the Western psyche, um, which is fantastic. You know, they certainly do need um, conservation efforts. But, you know, with, let's say, 200,000 um, African elephants, you know, what I would say is Africa's, um, worst case scenario, like saying, oh my God, if the elephants went down to 2000, my God, you know, it'll be all over. That's our dream. <laughs> so Africa's worst case scenario is our dream in Asia, where it's so much more poignant, you know. Um, and so, you know, we, we really got our backs against the wall. So our, our job is to, um, to reach donors and get enough compassion and support to allow us to um, work with the local communities, work with government agencies, um, and work with protecting the elephants and taking through this extinction crisis, radio calling them and tracking them, um, providing um, um, non-lethal electric fences, um, alternative agricultural systems for the indigenous communities so they can live together safely with the elephants um, at, yeah, as we, we take them through that. Um, and of course, you know, one of the things we fundraise and it's connected is um, we have this fantastic um, field manager, Alex Mokenbecker, um, who, is, who is in the field at the moment, um, enacting uh, our project. And he's written this um, great book, um, Island Elephants, um, yeah, that um, outlines the beauty of these um, giants of Sumatra and, um, and also, very specifically in detail, give a strategic plan of how we're going to recover the population and save it. Because as I mentioned with um, rainforest, you know, um, a lot of conservation is wasted because just saving a tree or planting a tree, is, you know, uh, these things can, can be novel um, and people are interested in them. But without strategic, holistic intent, they don't do much. And the same with elephant conservation. It's like, um, let's say, captive breeding of elephants is not a good idea from a welfare point of view, um, as an example. But also because um, females need to lower their vulva in order to set the, the bull for mating. And they love big macho bulls. They love, you know, the tough, you know, the, the, you know, the, the alpha male, the tough guy, you know, that's what attracts them. That's a genes, that's survivor genes they want in them. And what they're finding is with captive elephants, which are broken, mentally broken from human captivity, they do not do that. They don't want a mate. And so up until now, these elephant camps um, have been breeding quite a bit, not from the males which are stuck in the elephant camps, but from the bulls which you're sneaking in at night and mating with a female. But what we're seeing, that they've all been poached down, gone, you know? And, and so um, I will say, and it's the same with orangutans and tigers as, as other examples. It may be difficult to save them in a wild, but it's impossible to save these megafauna species in captivity. And, and so 
Um, although we certainly, um, we have a mobile vet unit and we employ a full-time vet in Sumatra, which in part helps these elephant camps and helps with welfare for these elephants in these camps. Um, it's not the solution. You know, it, it, it's just a band-aid to help them. But what we need to do is first for their, for the, um, wealth, their welfare and the survival of the species before it's too late, save enough habitat. And of course, one of the things we're doing and we're supporting this wonderful project in Laos where um, it's been demonstrated that we can bring captive elephants back to the wild and they're there now. <laughs> so you, they used to say, oh, you can't put them back in the wild because they've been in captivity and broken. But what we've shown is you can do that. So there is hope for these individuals. There is a method. So we're developing the methods of, of tracking, maintaining, work with local community, and reintroducing back in the wild. So, so in a sense, technically, we've got all the tools. I guess what's letting us down is we, we don't have sufficient funding in order to enact the program to the level we're doing. So I, I do spend a lot of my time um, doing uh, fundraising events and talking and, and meeting donors, connecting um, in the hope yeah, that we can gain enough support in time um, to make our vision for a better world a reality. So you've mentioned poaching quite, quite a few times. And what is the purpose of poaching these bulls? Like why, what are the people that are, are killing these bull elephants? Like what are they getting out of it? Mm -hmm. um, the, the getting out of it is the tusk mainly. And then, so that's the main aim. There's other things which, you know, um, can be getting like elephant skin, which seems to gain popularity and those sorts of things um, um, can be of value, but mainly for the, the poacher in Sumatra, it's about getting those tusks. We can, you, know, you take off the, 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 the elephant and you can kind of trans, transport that. And like a lot of this stuff, um, the illegal drug trade, the illegal weapons trade, and illegal wildlife trade is pretty much the same people. You know, they have the same skills, the same low morality. And, yeah. and so it's the same people. So there's organized crime. And said, so, well, we, we're doing drugs, we're doing guns. Hey, get that, let's get some wildlife in here. And it seems that most of this stuff ends up in China uh, as the major market, you know, for, for wildlife trade. And, and so that, that seems to be um, insatiable at the moment. And, and so um, without constant vigilance, without wildlife protection units and rangers and security protecting each herd and monitoring, it will go. It's like, you, it's like that's kind of the scary bit is you can do all this work, you know, um, and, um, you know, like you, you can protect um, forests for, 10, 15 years, right? and and you lose your funding, and you lose your capacity to do it. It's all gone. You know, it, it's not like you could. There's no, unfortunately, in in our, at least our lifetimes, there doesn't seem to be a set and forget. We we got a lot of work to, to get there, so we we got work to expand populations, expand ecosystems, and putting together. But not only that, what's what we've currently achieve is always on the knife edge because we have to develop and this is one of the things with um, as well as enacting the outcomes with wonderful field managers such as Heidi Bianco with orangutans and Alex Mokenbecker with um, elephants. Um, one of my main jobs is try to, to develop and establish 
a sustainable charity organization you know, with sustainable funding. And so these brave people in the field, we know they got their backs. We know everything they're working for is not going to collapse, you know, um, sometime in the future. And, and that's sometimes our biggest challenge. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've noticed. The more I talk to more people in conservation, the more I become involved. It's not, as you said, a set it and forget it. There's always that constant need to continue to try to keep churning forward because if you, if you take a break, you know, you're taking steps back because someone's trying to sort of undercut the work that you've been doing. Um, I, I still, I, I want to go back to the, the poaching of the elephants for the time. I mean, what are they using... The people that are buying um, th this tusk, I mean, what are, what are they using it for? Is it just some wealthy individual that puts it on their mantle as a showpiece in their home? I mean, mm -hmm. why, why would anyone feel the need to buy an elephant tusk? I, I think it's just prestige, you know. Um, and I think it's what we're seeing, let's say, uh, I'm just taking an example, is a major consumer of these goods in China. You, you have a, um, a lot of people moving from poverty to middle class to the upper middle class. Um, and, and, and they've done that quite quickly. You know, they, they call it the economic miracle of China, although it seems to be unsustainable. Well, it certainly is unsustainable. Um, but at least at the moment, it appears as a miracle taking people out. And, but a lot of them are retaining very um, the ideals and understanding um, from the village, i.e. traditional Chinese medicine, where, you know, a tiger penis is, you know, if you can get hold of one, it would be the best thing ever, you know, so um, using pangolins, you know, using, you know, and if you had a tusk, you know, carved tusk on your mantelpiece and you've made it, you know, and so, you know, back, you know, so these, they, they retain these values, you know, and, and it's understanding of what medicine is or, you know, and, but they don't have the education to understand and let's say in form of Chinese medicine that this is all quackery, you know, but, you know, it's, it's not real. There's no um, basis for it, um, but they want it now, you know, and they couldn't afford it before. And that, that just makes this, um, this basically massive um, desire for it. Um, and, and therefore, you know, um, you know, in, in a capitalistic system, when the desire Legally or illegally, there's somebody who's is going to be willing to do what it takes to fill that um, um, financial gap. That's uh, that saddens me um, quite a bit. Uh, I can't even say that I understand it. It just it just saddens me. Uh, so, let from everything that, that we've talked about so far, um, my what I gather is that um, you know myself purchasing a save the rainforest bumper sticker and slapping it on my vehicle uh isn't going to do anything really to help so for anyone that, that's listening out there for all the listeners uh what can they do if they are concerned about the sumatran elephants what can they do to help aid your organization in trying to conserve this very very threatened species yeah um, the, the first thing I would say in, in general, you know, choose your charity wisely. You know, as I said, most charity money is totally wasted. 
Um, you know, so you've got to choose a charity which has a um, holistic vision to, to achieve something, you know, and have the strategy in place and the skills and understanding in place um, to put it in. You know, simplistic solutions like save a tree or do that or one token solutions, they're normally the indication that the charity doesn't fully understand the situation. Simplistic solutions and slogans are good for getting elected, but they're not good for solving real world <laughs> realities. So choose a charity that you know has a, a holistic multifaceted strategy to, to achieve the outcome. So your money is not wasted. You know, it's just not a feel good gesture. Um, then secondly is, um, you know, become a re regular donor, you know, come on that journey, you know, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the big, um, multi-species charities, they, they do projects like they'll come in and go, oh, we got a grant or money to do this educational program in this village or this agricultural program or this whatever. They come in, they do it, they tick the box and they move on. And of course, then everything is destroyed behind it. And then they save another bit of rainforest, save that, and they're ticking all these boxes. And the projects are really, can be quite good, you know, but they just follow the funding and they just tick the box. They have no particular commitment, long-term commitment to the ecosystem or the people that filled a project. And that's just not how it works. You just can't work with a local community for five years and leave. It takes 15, 20 years to get this sorted out. You know, it taking us, we're developing agriculture systems on the rainforest canopy, such as vanilla, dragon blood and honey. And it takes at least seven years to get a profit. You've got to put it in and maintain it, give the skills, bring it up and get to the uh, access to the markets, you know, and, and so, um, so if you if you're doing a ticker box charity which does a nice project and move on, you know, um, you're not going to achieve a sustainable outcome. You, you need to get in um, and commit to a charity and say, look, I'm in here for the long run. I'm going to be, you know, and I'm, I'm going to become a real partner. I'm going to I'm going to give money, see the results of my outcome, you know, see see the results and stick with it to see it through. And that's the only way we're going to um, achieve anything. I call conservation. It's, it's a marathon with hurdles with a professional boxer punching you in the face every 15 meters. You know, so you've got to, that's, that's it. You know, so unless you're willing to, to enter that, you know, um, or if you're not, you know, and, and you at least give it to an organization that, that's basically taken that, that commitment for that long road. So uh, let everyone know how they can find out more information uh, ab about um, your organization, you know, website, social media, anything like that, that, that you have that they can um, learn. And if they feel compelled sort of to give to your organization. Yeah, um, they can go to our website, internationalelephantproject.org and um, yeah, see all the information about the projects, you know, adopt an elephant. Um, uh, and, and see the multifaceted way that we're working um, to save the elephants. As I mentioned, you can buy our book at the e-copy e or hard copy of Alex Merkenbecker's wonderful book on Smart on Elephants and get the in-depth analysis of, of what's the issue and of course how magnificent these persons are and, and, you know, and how each 
death of an elephant is an individual story of horror of a person, you know, dying. Uh, but also see how wonderful the species is and how magnificent, and, you know, and how what loss is going to be when when if we let the species disappear from our planet. But then also see that we we have a realistic, achievable strategy and vision, in, you know, to, to take them through. Um, and people have the opportunity. I call this the most important decade in a whole human history. And I, climate scientists are saying that too. And the reason is these things are interconnected. The survival of Sumatran elephants and rainforest is interconnected with climate change and climate change is going to um, um, feed back and affect the survival of the Sumatran elephant. And we've only got the next 10 years to turn this around, which means all the people who live for, you know, 200,000 years of human history, if people only living in this decade have the most important job in all human history to ensure the survival of the planet, <laughs> us and the entire species, you know, and so we have this obligation and privilege living in this most important time in human history. So it's no time to um, sit back with the beers in, in the backyard and think, oh, you know, you're born with this opportunity and this obligation. So, um, and let, 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 let's make it happen um, because the, the stakes are too high um, for us to, to drop the ball during this important time. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, like, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, uh, really appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, you have a, a long, steep mountain to climb, uh, but I feel like um, feel like you're headed in the right direction. So uh, uh, good luck and uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Jason. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a ton. Big thank you to Life for coming on to talk about the International Elephant Project and Sumatran Elephants. Uh, it is hugely important that we focus on species of greatest need, right? The ones that need the most help. And this is an easy way to go about it, right? The big charismatic animals. It's vitally important that we focus on habitat needs, the impact that climate change is having and all these kinds of things. We also need to keep in mind there's also very small, maybe not so charismatic animals out there that need our attention as well. I'll be the first to admit as a hunter, I, you know, I default to the animal species in North America especially that can be hunted. But we need to think about how every single piece of wildlife and piece of uh, ecology interconnects and works together. We need to make sure that we're not just focusing on elephants and deer and elk and bighorn sheep, but we're also thinking about sage grouse and we're thinking about pollinators and we're thinking about piping plovers, right? Like, Everything has its place and has a reason for being there, and it has an impact on the greater ecological need, right? So we need to make sure that we focus on everything that we can. That's hard to do because there's so much out there that has issues. 
So it's hard to have such a broad approach. But that broad approach is exactly what is needed. We need to focus in, you know, the International Elephant Project is great for this one species. And we need these specific organizations like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, IEP, the Orangutan Project, uh, International Tiger Project. We need the National Wild Turkey Federation, right? We need these certain organizations to focus in on one specific species or habitat need. But we need to make sure we're working together for the greater good of all species in all habitats across our globe. So if you want to learn more about the International Elf Elephant Project, down there in the show notes is a, a link to it. If you're curious about Life's books, link to those as well. And then don't forget about our Patreon page if you'd like to support the mission of Conserve the Wild, which is conserving and mitigating the effects of urbanization. Until next week, with this wonderful spring weather that we're starting to see, get outside, take someone with you, and always stay wild. <laughs>